Continue worship with a reading from Isaiah 58, 5 through 12. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will call this fast a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bounds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go and free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from the midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then you shall then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruin shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. This is the word of the Lord. Um, today, we continue a conversation um, on maturity. And if you're new, let me just give you a little flyover. The basic premise is really uh, kind of an observation uh, within Christian community that you've probably made if you've hung out with Christians for any amount of time. What you often find in Christian community is there are tons of, like, you know, Bible believing, church attending, spirit filled Christians for whom. Like salvation's a go. They're in. They love this thing, right? Uh, spiritual experience even. It's a go. We love that, right? Play that tag one more time. Sing it again, right? Maybe even like supernatural stuff. They're like, man, yeah, yeah, God does crazy things. And emotional experience. They love all that stuff. They're in on all that. They, you know, they're just all in. I'm in on all that. I'm increasingly repetitively praying for you to encounter the Holy Spirit. I think some of you need to have your socks knocked off by the Holy Spirit. I just do. I'm in on that stuff, man. I love it. I want more of it. You need, Christian, the electrifying power of the Holy Spirit. You need it, all right? And I'm praying more and more that all your little obstacles and all the walls you've put up around your heart are falling in the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit encounters you, okay? So they're in on all that stuff. Yes, all that stuff. But... When it comes to maturity and discipleship and like, you know, there's, there's, what you're going to find is there's things in the Bible, like supernatural stuff will happen in the Bible, all right? Like supernatural stuff, crazy stuff. And for some people, like everything's changed, like their entire life has changed. And for other people, they're like, did you just hear thunder? And they go on with their life. And if you've been in Christian community for any amount of time, you begin to wonder, dude, what is the difference? Like, we were all singing the same song. I heard the same words that person heard over there, and they seem to be like something's happening. Like, their life's looking transformed. And I'm like, eh, whatever. Dude, like, have you ever wondered? Like, what's the difference? I've been, you've been saved as long as this guy, and he just seems like way farther ahead of you, right? Well, obviously, in a word, it's faith. But there, what you do... 
with that experience and that knowledge, like, it comes into play here. So, so all the people in the room can be experiencing the same thing. Some people walk away transformed. Other people say, did you hear thunder, right? And then what you do with that experience, what you do with that knowledge, then is going to dictate things, how your life progresses, right? So for some people, for all sorts of reason, reasons, whether it's theological or psychological, or maybe they're just lazy, that knowledge and experience sits on the shelf. We chatting? It just sits on the shelf. Like maybe something happened. Maybe you did have an emotional experience in high school youth camp. Maybe it was real. Does anyone else go back and wonder, like, maybe that was just not, right? Like, I mean, maybe something happened. Maybe it did happen. Maybe it didn't happen. But whatever it was, it just sat on the shelf in your life. Like, the furniture of your mind wasn't rearranged. Like, everything just stayed the same. You didn't do anything. And so what can be true of us in many cases and in many Christians' lives is this Proverbs. This Proverbs in 26.7 says, um, a wise saying in the mouth of a fool is like a paralyzed leg. So for many of us, the experiences we've had, the knowledge we've learned about God, who he is, what he's supposed to have done, is basically like a, a hanging limb that doesn't actually do anything in your life. And if you hang around Christians very long, you begin to see, dude, there's a lot of Christians that really believe this stuff and their lives is transformed. And there's also a lot of Christians that they, it just doesn't, it just doesn't seem to really hit very much. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've grown up in church and it's just never hit. And for you, when someone says things like, God loves you, it feels like a paralyzed leg. When someone says something like, dude, I think the Holy Spirit maybe, maybe wants to engage you here and, and even sanctify you and transform you and change you right here. And you say, oh, maybe so. It's, a, it's like a limp. Uh-huh. Let's just do that some more so we all feel comfortable. Okay. The difference, in my opinion, is when things happen, let's just, let's just like make up a scenario. Let's just say today something is said that's like, oh, wow, that was good. Okay. Just pretend, okay? Let's just pretend. All right. There's going to be a group of people in this room that are going to immediately go about the difficult work of applying that to the gray complexities of their lives. And there's going to be another group of people that said that he's clearly not professionally trained. <laughs> right? There's going, to be, there's going to be a group of people that take that and say, what does this mean in my ho-hum, seemingly unspiritual existence? And they will immediately begin to ask, what does this mean for the way I go to school, middle schoolers? What does this mean with, how, does this apply to how I deal with my siblings or listen to my parents or parents, how I do dishes or do diapers or deal with their whiny middle school kids, right? Or if you're, <laughs> so, so, or if you, if you work, right? Does that have any bearing any weight, any significance on how I go to work and how, how do I deal with my annoying boss, okay? Have you ever heard someone say, man, this thing happened and everything changed? No, it didn't. <laughs> no, the world was still the world. Your boss was still your boss. Your kids were still your, you still had situations, you still had complexities. Dude, everything didn't change, bro. You changed. Your perspective changed. Your approach changed. And you began to ask the question, what did this event, what does this event mean for the rest of my life? And then they walk away saying everything changed. And in a way, they're totally right. Everything did change. And in a way, no, nothing changed except you. Your perspective changed, right? Maybe it was the Lord. Okay. 
If these two things are experiences of God, and maybe some of you in this room have had crazy experiences with God. I don't know. Maybe you're like, I don't think God can be experienced, actually. Okay, well, I'm glad you're here. But maybe you have had crazy things, okay? If, if this experience, if this, let's just go knowledge. Let's just go knowledge, intellectual knowledge. God is this, and the Bible is this, and blah, blah, blah. Okay. If that stuff right here never meets where you actually live right here, dude, it's a long exercise in missing the point. Like, what are you even doing? Why are you here? If this never meets here, this is so silly and dumb, and no wonder the world doesn't listen to us. And no wonder Christians have lost credibility in society at large. <laughs> when this idea of a never-ending, loving, compassionate father never makes its way into the way we talk to other people, of course you're going to lose credibility, bro. You're proclaiming, but you're never demonstrating See, when Jesus came, he proclaimed the message of the kingdom. Dude, he had things to say. But if all he did was talk and never demonstrated that love, man, you lose credibility. Listen, we're called to preach the gospel. But you are also called to display the gospel in the way you talk to your wife. You're also called to display, to demonstrate the love and the power of God in the way you actually live. And if that never happens, you will lose credibility. People will stop listening to you. See, this is how people have defined wisdom. Do you know how wisdom is defined? You have knowledge and facts, right? Not like random knowledge and facts floating around the universe, right? Two plus two equals whatever. God died for your sins, okay? <laughs> random facts. Wisdom is applying facts to life. Wisdom is the ability to say that fact, that truth has weight and significance and should come into effect here in the particularities of my context, right? In the wash of complexities and graves that we live in with annoying bosses and, and lovely children and, you know, all the things, right? Therefore, in at least one way, y'all, Christian maturity is the process, the process of integrating, applying the majestic, blindingly bright, sin-crushing, guilt-removing, life-giving realities of who God is to your everyday life. That's maturity. It's saying, if this is true, it, it thus, thus it, it must mean this in my real day life. That's the process of maturity. And it's why we prod you every week when we, when we take communion to what we say is open the doors and the windows of your soul before God. Because you know why we say that every week? Because you are a complicated being. Amen. <laughs> okay. Wow. Of, of the last places you'd expect an amen, there it is. <clears throat> uh, this is the deal. This is the deal. You will often out of a survival mechanism and just whatever, all sorts of reasons, you will compartmentalize things in your life. It just keeps things neat for a lot of times, right? We often compartmentalize areas of our life, right? And every week we want to remind you, God has overflowing goodness for every part of your life. And so there's places in our lives where we'd say, God has no business being there. This closet, this unredeemable experience, this pain, this sorrow, this unbelievably crushing experience that I'm going through right now, God doesn't deal with that stuff, man. Dude, every week we're going to say, 
Open the doors and the windows of your soul and let God in and see if he won't do something miraculous in, in those areas of darkness, the areas that you've compartmentalized. And said, so, do, do you know why the Titanic sank? Because he was a bad captain, whatever, crashed into an iceberg. <laughs> no, that's actually not why it sank. Um, they had a really, the engineers had a really brilliant idea, what they thought was brilliant. They said, listen, let's compartmentalize the, is it the hole? Is that what it's, anyone? Okay, good. The part that goes underwater, all right, clearly. Okay, uh, he said, listen, let's do this. We're gonna compartmentalize all those sections. That way, if we hit something, the water will just go into that one section, it won't fill the whole hole, and the ship will be fine. Well, do you know what happened? When it, when it hit that iceberg, it broke open like the front half of all of those compartments, but the problem was, all the, when the water came in, it all stayed in that, in that area, and that's why the boat went this way and then broke in half. They compartmentalized things. See, when you begin to compartmentalize areas of your life, you then become this really complicated person who you're a Christian this day and not that day. And, well, I act this way around those guys, and I don't act this way. I'm just telling you, that, that's a, a path of, of destruction in the end. And God wants to engage you in all of those little nitty-gritty compartments that you've said, yeah, it's not, no, it's not right, right? And that's our prayer for us, and that's what we say every week. We open the doors and the window. Y'all, maturity is putting pressure, putting pressure, weights, on what God has already said he's done. That's the process of maturity. It's making faith real in your life. It's stepping out on the things that we say we believe. And until you've done that things, you're never going to grow as a Christian. You're going to remain a little baby, drinking little baby bottles like that disturbing image that Scott showed up one time. Still, I'm still traumatized by that baby head in a business suit. It was horrible, right? Maturity is faith become real. It's, it's maturity. Guys, listen, if your faith, I mean, come on, let's just, we're in church. Everyone's fine and hallelujah, praise his name. Okay, but if your faith never actually engages and impacts the way you live, I just don't understand. There's, you have no business saying you follow Jesus. How? In what way? In what way? How are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you know how follow the leader works? Have you ever played that? Like, you have, you got to do, your, your, that means your body follows the person in front of you. I know it's like tricky because was it, Jesus is gone and well, there's the Holy Spirit and all this kind of stuff. But wisdom and maturity as a Christian, y'all, is when you actually begin to, with your real life, put pressure on the promises of God. What does that then mean for this area of addiction? What does the grace of God then mean? Okay, that's wisdom, that's maturity. It's applying the fact to the context of your life. It's saying this fact here, there's a cosmic question, cosmic question, every single one of you have to answer. It's, it's this, and it's like every, every single week you have to answer this question. Every time you go to church, every time you encounter the truth of God, the question is this, now what? <laughs> cosmic, universal question, now what, okay? What's this mean? And here's the thing about maturity and wisdom. There's no, like, index in the back of the Bible that's like, this means, let's see, Chris Westbrook, 2022. Ah, okay, great. So this means that I should do, we don't get that. No, you have to answer, I don't get, you don't get that. You have to answer that question yourself. What does this, now what, what does this mean for me? Here, now, that is the process of maturity, or at least in some way, right? And I, I'm trying to tell you, if you're not answering that question of now what, then you are not progressing uh, and maturing as a Christian. Your life is probably compartmentalized, and your faith probably feels pretty impotent. 
I'm just trying to be upfront with you. And I need to hear this as much as you need to hear this, right? If the compassion and love and the mission of Jesus never impacts these areas, we can't with any integrity say that we follow Jesus. Okay, so you might have said yes to salvation, at least in some ethereal, otherworldly way that maybe kicks in after you die, but it's possible you've never said yes uh, to growing in grace and maturity before Jesus as his disciple. It's very possible. It's possible that you are coasting on obedience from 10 years ago and have not said yes today, right? It's why Dallas Willard calls the Great Commission. You know the Great Commission? You, know, great, you, know, you grew up in church and that? Uh, you know, go make disciples of all the... Dallas Willard calls that the Great Omission, because he says we've focused on making converts and not disciples of Jesus who actually look like Jesus did. Because of the great omission. So one of the big pushes of this series that we've been trying to just dig into, dig into is to help you see there is a concrete connection between how you actually live, okay, your habits, what you talk about, the thoughts you entertain, how long you spend on social media, what you give your time and attention to, to your maturity and growth as a, as a Christian. And I know you might be thinking, dude, does that, does that really need to be said? I mean, come on. But it does. It does need to be said because maturity is optional. And you may just, dude, have all sorts of absolutely unhealthy habits. And you're just wondering, man, why is, why is like, this never working out? And why is this like, well, how long do you spend on social media? How, how, how many hours in front of the tube do you just disconnect? Like, how often do you justify being um, apathetic towards your kids because you're emotionally drained? How often do you justify disconnecting from your wife because you're tired? Okay, dude, that's having an effect on you, man. <laughs> that's doing something to you, right? Maturity is optional. And here's, the re here's one of the reasons why. This is one of the truths that this whole series is, like, setting on top of. Why is maturity optional? Why? Like, how? How is What are you talking about, Chris? Okay, well... There are two realities to your life right now. There are, there are two things that compose you as a person. There is your physical body, and it's, it's really difficult to hide stuff about your physical body. I mean, we try, right? But if you have a broken leg, like everyone's like, well, Joe broke his leg again, right? Or if you have mud on your face, you know, it's on your face. Everyone's going to see it. You don't see it, but everyone else sees it, right? But then, so there's, the, there's one reality of your heart and life, or well, actually just your life, okay? The other reality is the internal reality of your, of your life. Now, this is really, really, really easy to hide, okay? And people and pastors and Christians are really good at this and can do it for decades. So they have this external reality of their life, but then there's this internal reality of your life. And it's really easy to, to just polish the external reality and make it look really, really good. And it's really, 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 really easy to completely neglect the internal reality of your life. So outside, right? Like, dude, things are amazing. I mean, you did manscape that beard, bro, you know? Done got that hair done. I'm blessed, brother. You know? Eat, pray, love, right? Everything's awesome. But dude, 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 Inside, inside, oh, you're being devoured. Oh, man. Like inside, like you are so angry. You're so bitter. And every time you see that person in the hall at church, your blood boils. How are you, brother? Good to see you. Like, Inside, like you know your marriage is falling apart. But every time someone says, oh, that's good, man, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. The more times you say it, the more they, right, right? 
This is what makes maturity optional. Do you understand? This is one of the realities that makes it possible. I mean, if that's all you walk away with today, I'll be happy. If you can just walk away knowing there is a reality that no one else, it really doesn't bleed out very often. In fact, if you think about it, when Jesus said becoming like a child, do you know what children are really bad at? Hiding what's inside them. Kids, kids just don't, they've not learned, they've not been in church long enough to learn that. That's why Jesus says, if you don't become like a kid, you're not going to get in the kingdom. Kids, if they're sad, like you see it. Like you know it. If they're ha- you see it. It's, it's crusty adults that learn how to hide the internal reality of their hearts and lives. And, pr- and, and then create this experience of Christianity and going to church and reading the Bible and all the external things you're supposed to be doing, they create this experience in which it is a long exercise in missing the point because it's never touching the internal reality of their hearts and lives. This is one of the reasons maturity is optional because there is an internal reality to your life and an external. Now, you know what this means, though? Middle schoolers, you know what this means? It means that your age is not the primary determining factor of your maturity. Amen. That, well, they, they like that. I don't know if they like that. Right? <laughs> Right? And no matter how young you are, if you will actually apply the truths of God to your life, you will mature in many cases faster than crusty adults who don't believe change is possible anymore. Okay, so we've been going through our values as a church, right? These are ingredients that we say, hey, listen, if you're not pushing the gas here, if you're not plowing forward in these areas, you will stagnate as a Christian, right? And the four things are formation, community, mission, and worship. And today, really quickly, I just want to dig into what we mean when we say mission. These four things we say, if you're not experiencing these things in an ongoing way in your life, you are probably stagnating as a Christian. You're not growing. Or to positively say it, you could say, every growing, fruit-bearing Christian will be doing these four things, worship, formation, mission, and community. We've already done, what have we done? Formation and community. So if you're curious about what that means, you can go back and listen. But today I want to talk about mission. And when we say mission, all we're really talking about is this, partnering with God in what he is doing in the earth. So everyone understands what that means, so let's pray and be done. No, what does that mean? Okay, let, let me just... We read Isaiah 58 earlier. Did y'all? I'm, I'm going to read it again for us real quick, okay? And then, and then we'll, we'll move on. We won't, we won't be too long. Isaiah 58 was written uh, to a people who had adopted outward physical forms of religious practice, but neglected the inner reality of their hearts and lives, right? So the now what had been answered with outward rituals, without inward transformation, okay? So in other words, these people that Isaiah 58 was written to was right in the middle of religious activity, like us, <laughs> in church, doing the thing, okay, but had completely neglected something. And so let me read it, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. He says this, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread? Now, this is a really interesting uh, definition of, like, religious activity, isn't it, Right? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Now, if you recognize that list, maybe, uh, it's because Jesus um, almost uh, mirrored 
a little story he told in Matthew 25 after this list. You remember that one? When Jesus said, uh, you know, you didn't bring the hungry, you didn't visit the poor, you didn't feed the... And they said, when did we do that? You remember that one? Okay, so that, this is where it comes from. Okay. So then it says, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your regard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noon day. Man, you got to turn your brains on. Your gloom be as the noon day and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desires in scorched places. Satisfy your desires in scorched places and make your bones strong. Love that. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Let me just point some simple things about this passage, then we'll chat and get out of here. Isaiah is connecting your willingness to meet the practical needs of those around you, okay? The practical needs of those around you. But who are those around you that he points out? It's like the riffraff. It's, it's, it's the people that society has dismissed as broken and worthless. Isaiah's connecting your willingness to meet the needs of the people that society has dismissed as worthless, broken, dysfunctional, to meet their needs. Who is that in your book? Who, who, who's the people that, like, you're just like, dude, those people. I know some of y'all, it's the political issue, all right? Is the people on the other side of the aisle. They're dumb, they're dumb broken, right, okay? Maybe it's old people. Maybe it's young people. Maybe, you know, maybe it's Christians. Maybe it's Christians for you. Maybe the, whoever it is that you tend to look down your nose at in superiority, he's saying he's directly connecting your willingness to meet their needs with the vibrancy of your soul. This is completely backwards. He's connecting. i got to say it again. Okay. You know when you see that homeless guy on the road? And you're probably not, I'm sure you're not like this. I see them and I think, man, what did this guy do to get there, right? I mean, you know, and if I give him anything, he's going to just go spend it on crack, you know? So then I'm not going to, you know, whatever. And you see this, okay. Okay, well, Isaiah is saying your willingness to meet the needs of that person will be directly connected to your joy as an individual, this is bizarre. This is backwards, man. You know, when we want, look, okay, in our culture and society, we want to get good and happy and healthy and wealthy. We go get a book about how to help ourselves, right? It's called self-help, right? That's how it works. We don't go get a book about how to help other people. That's not how it works. We know that. Our society is an age of self-love, self-care, self-glorification. We think we're certain completely confident. If I want to establish my joy as a person, I need to satisfy my desires, right? I need to get, the th I don't know, treat myself, right? I'm like, max out this credit card. No worries. You can open up another credit card, right? Live your best life, you know? That's, that's the air we breathe, y'all. If we think I need, I'm sad. I'm sad. I need to sad. I want to get happy. How do you get happy? Treat yourself. 
treat yourself. Anyone? Parks and Rec? No? Okay. I don't know if you caught that or not. Okay. We think if I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to pursue happiness, I need to indulge. I, I need to say yes to myself more often. And Isaiah is saying, actually, if you want to establish your joy and vibrancy in life as a person, did you hear how he described this? It's the kind of person whose desires are satisfied in scorched places. You know what the image is for this? The image is you are in the middle of the desert. In the middle of the desert. You know what the desert represents all the time? Like barrenness, lack, no food, no sustenance, nothing to live off. In the middle of the desert with a Thanksgiving table in front of you. He says, dude, you want to live like that? You want to live in places where there's no resources, no reason you should be happy, no amount of joy. There's the, I mean, you're just a cog in a machine and life's sucking out of you, right, by going to your job. You want to have joy? Dude, meet someone else's needs. Try to increase the enjoyment of someone else for their day. Like, get up in the morning and stop asking yourself, what can these people do to make me happy? And ask yourself, how can I make their day more enjoyable? Guys, it's backwards, y'all. It's backwards. It's not how we work on a daily basis. It's not how we function. And yet he's connecting your joy. Listen, I know when you get down and out and when you're frustrated and when you're depressed, the last thing on your to-do list is meet Fred's needs. Fred, God, can't even tie his shoes straight, right? Fred at work, right? And what I'm trying to say is like, listen, man, if you will just for a second get over yourself and ask yourself, man, is there anything I could do to meet dumb idiot Fred's needs and make him more happy of a day? <laughs> sorry, this is, my brain works that way, I'm sorry. It, if, if you, right, because you think that about him, right? If you would just ask yourself, what could I practically do today to make his day lesser of a burden? The promise in Scripture is that your life will become like a well-watered garden in the middle of the desert, this is where Jesus gets his language of, of he who believes in me, living water will flow from within him. It's, the language is a spring. You know what a spring is? It's water coming out of nowhere. Like just from out of the ground. Refreshing water that goes and water and bears. Listen, my wife is all into gardening. Every time I get a nice piece of grass, she's like another garden right there. Okay? And there's, there's something about, there's something about, guys, does anyone garden? Anyone garden? Okay, so there's something about the abundance. It just blows my mind every time I'm like, that came out of our garden? Like a big bushel. I mean, it's like, you know, it's amazing. There's something about that that's just captivated my sweet, sweet little wife's heart. She loves it. And God is saying, if you will start meeting the practical needs of those around you, your life will bear that kind of fruit when there is no reason your life should be bearing that kind of fruit. In scorched places, y'all. You might be saying right now, I don't know what you're on here, Chris, but my life is daggum scorched right now. Like burnt earth, right? Sherman done come through, burnt everything up, right? My life is on fire. Everything is in ashes. I have no clue what you're talking about. I'm just, I'm just wanna, as humbly as I can, I want to slide this across the table to you and, and, and plead with you to put a little pressure on the promise of God that we're sitting with right now. If you will consider making tomorrow about the needs and desires of your spouse, if you will consider making tomorrow about lessening the burden of your annoying coworkers and loving them and 
doing a bit of their job for them and then not griping about it later and just saying, man, I just think God loves you, bro. You know what? Well, not only will you begin to be on mission with God <laughs> in the earth, but he will flood your heart and life with a kind of joy that the most barren desert could not threat. We tracking. Are we getting this? This is what we mean when we say partnering with God in the earth. It means that we do the things that he did. And if you're like, well, how do you know what God did? You got the red phone to heaven. How do you know what? Well, so good, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, because when Jesus was on the earth, he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. What was Jesus doing? When, when he starts his ministry, what does he read? He reads something very similar to what we read today, right? About preaching the good news to the, to the poor, healing the sick, lessening the burdens of the weak, right? If we're going to follow Jesus, guys, the primary thing that has to begin to impact your heart and life and how you relate to other people is his compassion. And if, if his compassion and love and mercy for other people is never making its way into the way that you think and relate to other people. I just don't know if you can say you follow Jesus with any integrity. I don't know if you can say that, right? Because that's, if we want to know what God is up to, what is he doing in the earth, all you have to do is look to the ministry of Jesus, and you'll see it. And then you have to ask yourself, are you willing to make your life about the things that Jesus made his life about? See, we often think that maturity is, uh, you know, this, uh, it's a, like an older person is wealthy and someone can cook their meals for them and maybe they're not a lot of help practically, but they're nice to have in an armchair discussion. We think mature people can't be bothered maybe with practical needs or something like that. I don't know, they're, they're soaring with the eagles, right? You know, they're in the, you know, and that's what maturity looks like. But here, and all through scripture and the example of Jesus, maturity is taking off your perceived importance and getting on your knees, and taking the place of a servant, and washing the feet of those around you. And this is why spiritual maturity is so often overlooked, because we mistake maturity for the loudest, most self-assured, self-absorbed person in the room, when the true signs of spiritual maturity is the, other, the people that are beginning to meet the needs of those around them. If your definition of maturity is one that allows you to be unaffected by the pain and suffering of others, that is not in any way a Christian definition of maturity. Can I say that one more time? If your definition of maturity is one that allows you to be unaffected by the pain and suffering of others, huh? We chatting? Unaffected. That's not Christian maturity. That's something else. See, we tend to think maturity is the person sitting in the back who can easily spot out all the dirt on anyone, right? I've been that person. I've been that person who comes in any church and sits in the back and says, oh, this is wrong, and they shouldn't be doing that this way, and if they did it this way, that'd be great. You know, can I just tell you, that's not maturity. That's immaturity. That's the opposite of maturity. Welcome to church. No. Maturity is, listen to me, listen, hey, hey, hey stay with me, stay with me, huh? don't leave, don't leave. Maturity, mat look at me, look at me. Maturity is not seeing the dirt on people. Maturity is getting on your knees and washing the dirt off of people. That's maturity. Maturity is when you get on your knees and figure out the solution and start pushing towards that, being someone's biggest cheerleader. 
right? Maturity is getting under other people and pushing them up. Maturity is not your ability to see dirt, man. It's your ability to wash the dirt off of others. That's Christian maturity, and I can say that confidently because we see that that's exactly what Jesus did. Because if you notice in that Isaiah 58 scripture, it, is, it almost mirrors everything. Dude, Jesus poured himself out for the hungry. Jesus met the desires of the afflicted. Man, he went to the homeless. He brought the homeless in. Dude, Jesus clothed us in his righteousness. You see the overlap, right? He fulfilled all of that stuff and calls us into his mission in the earth. Make your life about something bigger than your own appetites and see if the joy of God doesn't flood through over the threshold of your life. And if you think this whole time, this is hogwash, man, hogwash. It's making, it doesn't work, Chris. You know what, I've tried it, it doesn't work. Dude, I, I just I dare you. Tomorrow, do it, do it. One, two, three, one, two, three, do it. I dare you. Try it. Make tomorrow about lessening someone else's burden instead of griping about your own and see what happens. See what happens, man. I, I, let me just give a few applications to this, the, uh, a few kind of now what's, if, if I can. Wow, I'm so far off my notes. I just got so. Um, so let's just say, okay, now what? Great, great, great. Be compassionate. Okay, whatever. Now what? All right? You mean, does that mean we got to like be a missionary and take a poverty, as like a vow of poverty? No, I'm not doing that, okay? Uh, <laughs> But how can you begin to get on board with what God is doing with his mission in the earth? And number one, I'm just going to say this one. This is just so simple. It's like mind-numbingly simple. Um, just, how about this? Start, start. Just pray for someone. Pray for me. Dude, dude, look at me. Pray for me. Oh, good Lord, please. Like, pray for me. Pour, get tomorrow, just get on your knees and say, God, help that poor idiot. Doesn't know what he's doing, <laughs> right? I'm serious. Dude, seriously. Like, get after it. Like, go get in your closet and start praying for the issue that's stressing you out right now. Pray for that person who's driving you mad. Maybe it's your kids. You know, maybe it's your parents' kids, right? Just get in the room and say, Lord, bless them. Like, help them. Have mercy. I'm telling you, if you will open the gate a little bit, the flood will start. And all of a sudden, you're going to be swept up in the compassion of God. And you might even begin to see other people the way God sees them when you start doing that stuff. Really, really simple. Dude, listen, we're not talking about selling all your possessions and moving to India. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, you're already living your life. Like, let's just integrate some things into this and get on mission with God and the earth. Let's start praying for our country. Pray for your state. Quit griping about it. Start praying. Dude, come on. Like, just get after it. And if we do that, what we might find is the heart of God begins to be formed inside of us for other people. When we'll begin to just say, Lord, lift him up, bless him, redeem him, sanctify him, right? Help him with Sundays. He's just a mess, you know? Something, right? Super, super easy, okay? Now, if you work outside of the house, you see up to a dozen people, maybe more. You go to the grocery store, you go outside. Dude, you're always encountering people. Um, what if you, tomorrow, the, the, as you encounter people, just ask a very, very simple question. How can I bless this person? For some of you, Maybe it's just smiling might be the thing, you know? <laughs> like, just, just try to smile at people, maybe, right? Maybe for some of you, it's just like, man, I'm, how about I just show some interest in this person and in their burdens? Just, dude, this is simple stuff. This is one-on-one stuff. We just get so distracted in our hearts and lives, and we completely miss the point of what it means to be a Christian and follow Jesus, and we think, well, it's just going to church and reading the Bible. No, I'm telling you, man, that's, it's, not, it's not where the meat is. The meat is when your heart and life begins to transform. You begin to see people like God sees people. So, so pray. Come on, man. Okay? Two, just, like, ask what you can do to bless someone. 
Very, very simple. And the three, three, and this is probably the hardest, and we talked a lot about this when we talked about community, is quit letting um, consumerism skew your view of people. Quit letting consumerism skew your view of why other people exist. (laughs) Other people do not exist to make you happy. No, they do not, right? In fact, let me just push a little further. Um, You don't need the church so it can meet your needs. You need the church so you can serve and sacrifice for others in the church. Huh? You need the church so that you can follow Jesus by serving the church. That's why you need... Listen, poor people do not need you. You need poor people in your life. Because if they're not in your life, you can't follow Jesus. Because every time we see him doing his ministry, who's he hanging out with? Sinners and riffraff and whores and prostitutes. Dude, if the, if the, if the people that society has, has cast out is just nowhere in your life, you, you got to get in there. I, how can we say we follow Jesus if we're not equally as concerned with the poor? Right? Quit letting consumerism skew how you view Jesus and Christianity. You understand what I mean, right? The poor don't need you. You need the poor because you can't follow Jesus without them. Don't allow, don't allow the consumeristic age we find ourselves in convince you that everyone else exists to meet your needs. Being on mission at its base simply means getting over yourself and allowing the compassion of Jesus to begin to influence the way you actually interact with other people. So as we transition to a time of coming to the table, as we do every week, um, you said yes to God 10 years ago. And maybe it was dramatic. Like maybe it was emotional. Maybe it was supernatural. Maybe you, dude, I don't even doubt some of you've been physically healed. Like supernaturally. Maybe something amazing happened. But at some point, at some point over the past 10 years, 20 years of your life, you stopped saying yes to God. And you find yourself today quite bored and apathetic and not even sure if you're in on God. I want to give you the opportunity today to say yes to God. Guys, sometimes it does us uh, just immensely well to physically respond to what God may be saying and doing. I think God wants to invite some of you to say yes to him today. Yes, today, again. I want to follow you. I want to, I want to. Secondly, I think some of your hearts might have been pricked when we were talking about outward versus inward realities. Okay? And if you're here today and outwardly things are generally fine, uh, but inwardly, Like you're on the verge of falling apart. If, if outwardly, it, it, things are great, man. Like I'm, you look good. But dude, like if you could see in my heart right now, God, I'm falling apart. I don't know if it's like, maybe it's sin maybe. Maybe it's just depression. Maybe it's relational turmoil. Maybe, maybe guys, you're like right in the middle of religious activity. You're right in the midst of it but you're missing the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Like the inside's just not catching up. Like you're going through the motions. Dude, if that's you today, I want you to physically respond to that. We're gonna have people on either side of the stage as we take communion. And I want you to come over and get prayer, man. Just just come out. Just, dude, look, just let the outside begin to reflect the inside. You You know what that is for some of you? Freedom. Oh, it's like liberty. Like, you know, I mean, can you imagine not having to hide 
the anger and the frustration and the desperation. Like, what if you just said, I'm, I'm angry. I don't know what to do. Like, I, I want you to have every week, guys. Listen, you don't need a sermon. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, you need God himself to come touch you in the places that you are stuck. And every week, we're going to continue to give you opportunities to respond to what God may be doing and saying in your heart and life. And I think, I, for me personally, so many of my moments of aha and transformation have been when I've got over myself and said, I'm going to be known right now. I'm going to step out. I'm going to risk. I'm probably going to look like an idiot. And God tends to meet us when we come to the end of our rope. So if outwardly, guys, you, things are fine. Like, dude, no one would know that, that, that it's going south. But if inwardly, it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care what it is, man. Come rend, like open that up to God today. Okay? Uh, being mission, uh, being on mission with God is not pour yourself out, Meet everyone else's needs so you're bone dry and miserable, and that's what it means to be a Christian. Not at all. It's open your eyes to the fact that another has been poured out on your behalf. It's open your eyes to the fact that it was Jesus who loosed the bonds of your wickedness and broke the oppression of sin on your back. It was Jesus who fed the hungry and offers to feed your soul today. Jesus who clothes your nakedness with his righteousness and did not turn a blind eye to your poverty and need. Being on mission with God is having your eyes open to what he has done and is doing and joining him in his work of the renewal of all things. Let's pray. Father, would you empower?